0: One of the things that uh, we were just talking about up here just recently is the whole issue of allergies and and so many people, the increasing amount of allergies that people are having to food. It's because the food is becoming so deformed and contaminated that that your immune system doesn't recognize it as food. It recognizes it as a foreign substance that doesn't belong in your body. And, And if you can reform that to the... There's nothing wrong with the ge- our genetics, folks. People get a misunderstanding and if you if you have an opportunity to listen to Jerry Travers' presentation on epigenetics, I wish I had the time to talk about epigenetics, and how the expression of the genetics is deformed, not the genetics. Now there is that there is the reality that some genetics are damaged. In the process, but I was reading some research by one doctor showing that the genetics, when the conditions are right, the body actually has the ability to correct mutated genetics it recognizes that this is not working in harmony with everything else the way it's supposed to be and it reverts it back to the, the to the genetic expression it is supposed to be but it's the epigenetics that we're having a problem with here it's the deforma- the deformation of that expression we're no longer expressing the image of God if you want to put it that way um, and that will be my message on Sabbath but um, what we need to do is we need to change the conditions We need to change the character of the soil. We need to change the character of our hearts and properly express those genetics the way they should be. And when I was sharing before about the seeds, um, that's why saving your own seed, you need to remove some of that epigenetic deformity in the seed itself. Okay. let's let's try to finish up this, and then we're going to jump on to carbon fertility here. I've got a list of other beneficial elements here. The truth is is that we just don't know. We know about the major things. We know about the significant things necessary for, for healthy soil and growth. There's some things we just don't know a whole lot about. It's not this list here, but it's even ones beyond this list. But like I shared before, um, there is research that demonstrates that some rare earth elements in parts per billion, which is so tiny, uh, given uh, mixed in to the, to, to the larger process, that it's, it's hard to imagine. They had a science um, museum that I took my kids to one time. They had, a, they had this big drum with all these little BBs in it. They're different, or they were beads, not BBs, beads. Different, they have a different colored bead. And they were illustrating a part per billion and a part per million, and so they, you would have to crank the thing and try to find that one part per million in these beads or that one part per billion in these, in these beads, and it was almost impossible. But at that level, they know from research that there is the possibility of doubling and tripling lifespan. There is the possibility of reducing energy consumption, or you can put it the other way and say an increasing energy efficiency, so that there is much more accomplished with the same amount of energy put into the system. Um, we don't know about those things, and so I don't want to leave those out. What I'm doing is I'm giving you the things that we know how to measure, and we know where they ought to be in order to get optimum, optimum growth and, and fruitfulness. And so we'll go through these, but I just wanted, so I didn't forget, I wanted to point out, and the way I take care of that is, is by applying materials that have those elements in them. And so, like I I'd shared before, kelp meal, any ocean-based products is a good a good way of, of applying those materials. You just need to be sure that you can apply them in an appropriate way. Like if you're going to use sea minerals with the sodium in it, you need to make sure you're not on a high sodium soil. Or they have a, a sea crop, which is a sea mineral, where they've taken out virtually all of the sodium. It's actually a superior product because it's actually alive. The way they process it still has the the, the life in it that the ocean has in it. Um, you can use that material instead. but Kelp uh, meal, there's a material called azomite that has about 65, I think it's 65 elements in it. Um, some of these materials like green sand um, and granite dust, there's other elements in it besides the major ones that they measure in there, so they, they can be beneficial. The rock phosphates actually have, actually have quite a few other minerals in them as well. And one of the interesting things about about rock phosphate is if you were to analyze it, the colloidal phosphates, if you were to analyze those, they come out almost like a perfect soil except excessive in phosphate. They come out. And those phosphates are actually stuff that was once alive. Um, So let's go through, let's go through this other beneficial elements. I put it in this list. Actually chlorine is not, actually two of these are considered essential now. Um, But we'll just go through them. Cobalt is essential for nitrogen fixation and cobalamin formation. Cobalamin is the molecule that B12 is made of. Um, And so you can be, and if you raise livestock, people who raise livestock either supplement cobalt in their feed, most likely they supplement it because most cases soil doesn't have adequate cobalt for the, for the ruminant animals to synthesize the B12 in their their guts. Um, I'll make a controversial statement here that would be probably contended, but I believe that we could synthesize it in our own guts if they were healthy. Problem is they're not. But the microbes in the soil can, for sure. And the plants actually take it up. You can measure B12 in plant tissue the plants will take it up if the B12 is, is produced in the soil by the microbes. And so whether or not we can synthesize it or not in our own guts, um, it can be made available on a plant-based diet if you create the conditions for that to happen. It's also one of those ones that's only required in one to two parts per billion. It also ha- You also have to be very careful about how you apply it how much you apply. You should never usually apply more than about a pound at a time. Um, This is one of those ones. It's a court of law. What would hold up in a court of law? Um, So what I'm telling you by that is you can do more than that if the conditions are right. But, um, so about a pound at a time of, of a 21 percent. It's a hydrated sulfate form. Again, cobalt sulfate. Uh, it's usually either a twenty one percent or a thirty three to thirty four percent material depending on how much water is is in it and uh, the and then again, you would have to spray that one on, spray apply it because there's just no way you're going to take a pound of something and and uh, well I shouldn't say there's no way somebody might come up with a way to do it, but the, um, it's very difficult anyway, let's put it that way to to apply that small amount of material. so usually dissolving it in water and spraying it spray applying it is. Um, And by the way, if you're looking for these materials, cobalt, cobalt, molybdenum, they're kind of hard to find. They use them, they they use the molybdenum, uh, the molybdic acid or or sodium molybdate they'll use in uh, hydroponics, and so sometimes a hydroponic supplier might have them. But if you need a source for this, Daystar Academy, which is here, Sean Spidel is is really deficient in this out there, and so he got got approval from the, the CCOF, from the certifying organization to apply cobalt because prior to that you weren't allowed to apply it to the soil you were only allowed to apply it you were only allowed to feed it to animals as a supplement but you weren't allowed to apply it to the soil <laughs> don't ask me to explain that explain that logic but it's um but he he was able to get it approved and so they're they're actually they have it they have a supply of both the cobalt and, and they're actually trying to use some of these things to help generate some income for the school um, but it's not at your expense. Their prices for them are actually lower than the, than the mainstream market prices, so you're actually getting a pretty good deal purchasing in there. So, if anybody needs that, you can go to Castle Valley Farms website or contact somebody at Daystar and they can get you the, that website. But you have a question? I have also gone to, uh, to feed outlet. Uh, right. Sometimes you can get it, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so thank you. Thank it. you for mentioning that. You can go to. This is usually what I tell growers when they need it. Check these sources first. You, feed stores, hydroponic stores, because they'll supplement it as a, a feed supplement. The problem with the feed stores a lot of the times they're, they're not mixing it into the, the feed ration. They're giving them a salt, a cobalt lick, salt lick. Um, and so unless you can grind it up, and I don't know what else might be in the salt lick, you that you may sodium, right. Yeah, if you're have, if you close enough to one of those places where they actually make it, you can go and get the material. The bottom line is it's not used in food production, yes. which is crazy, but um, there's that disconnect again. But I know that they have it, and you can get it there if, if you're not finding one of these other sources that have it. Okay, the next one is uh, chlorine. Oh. Cobalt is essential for nitrogen fixation for those free-living nitrogen fixers. Again, cobalt is in fact about 80% of the, the soil biology requires cobalt, at least 80%. I bet if they researched it long enough, they find out that all of it re- requires it. We are so far behind on this research because nobody's paying attention to it. They have other priorities, so so nobody really knows. There's some research out there already, but it's just totally buried in in uh, the mountains of research that are out there. Um, although the internet now is making it a little bit easier to try to find track down some of that stuff, but um, it's just not being researched. It's not being investigated. Um, the next one is chlorine, and it's not it, it's required for photosynthesis, but in very small quantities. And generally, there's not an issue with chlorine. It's highly highly leachable, but like the sulpomag that I was telling you about, a lot of time has some chlorine in it. It's just, it's the natural mine material has some chlorine that comes with it, uh, chloride. And so it's, um, if you're applying any of those kind of materials, generally chlorine's not a problem. Or if you're applying something that has some sodium chloride in it, it's not a problem. Nickel, uh, chlor- uh, nickel is uh, needed by some plants for proper nitrogen utilization. I think they're going to find out if the plant's fully functional that a lot more plants are going to require it uh, than just certain, some plants. But for proper nitrogen uh, utilization, it's, it's required. Again, in small quantities, nobody knows what that quantity is yet, what that measurable quantity, they can, they can measure it and tell you how much is in the soil, but nobody really knows how much is supposed to be in the soil. Again, it's probably in that part per billion, or, or part per million, I'm sorry, part per million. It may be down around half a part per million or something like that. It's, it's, it just doesn't require a whole lot. But uh, again, nobody's really evaluated this one. When Dr. Albrecht's work stopped, a lot of it stopped. When they they basically told him you can retire now because when the chemical revolution came in, he opposed it. He said, this is insanity. He said, this is not going to work. He said, restoration of complete and balanced fertility is what's going to solve the problems, not chemicals. And they asked him to retire. He said, "We, we don't need you anymore. And and a lot of the the advancement in these lines kind of died with him. There is research being going on, but not in in the aggressive way that he was was doing it. Okay, and the last one is a significant one, silicon. Silicon builds strong cell walls and and, and confers disease resistance, especially in high silicon-accumulating crops like rice and and crop families like the cucurbits. If you grow melons, watermelons, cucumbers, um, squash, any of those those type of plants, and you've had problems with downy mildew and powdery mildew, silicon will will make a major difference in eliminating that problem. It's built. It's part of the. It's part of pectin. And somebody was mentioning something about the uh, uh, measuring bricks um, re- refractometer and measuring bricks. This is one of those things that is actually more important than the the sugar content. It's actually what the pectin content is, will tell you how how superior the nutrition is. And one of those is um, it, it, it's, it, you have to measure it a little bit different way. But another, a lot of people when they look at it, I mean, do everybody know what a uh, BRICS is? Uh, well it's basically measuring the sugar levels in the sap of, of, of a leaf or the fruit or whatever. And generally the higher the sugar levels, the healthier and more nutritious the, the product is. Now Having said that, I'll tell you, the world and the devil, what what the devil likes to do via the world is exaggerate the most stimulating aspects of whatever it is. And so salt, fat, and sugar are exaggerated in foods because they're highly stimulating. But there's, and and so people come to the assumption that, well, there's something wrong with fat, something wrong with salt, something wrong with sugar. Well, let me correct that the most nutritious food has the highest sugar content it has the highest salt content not just sodium chloride but when i say salt i mean all of those minerals it has the highest salt content and it has the highest fat content but it has everything else that's supposed to be with it to make those things a blessing and so this, the problem is and that's what the devil's done to us in every level of life we could go through that but we don't have the time to do it as he's taken the most stimulating aspects of of life and he's stripped away from them the stabilizing or the balancing influences and uh the the nourishing influences rather than the stimulating influences he's taken the nourishing influences away from them and he's just given us them and we're we're a world full of addicts we're addicted to the stimulation and we're but we're dissatisfied with it all because it's not nourishing it's not satisfying it's just stimulating and so there's nothing wrong with sugar, there's nothing wrong with fat, there's nothing wrong with salt, salts. It's, it's a matter of whether those come in a package together in a balanced way. You want them to be the highest level that they can be. Do I see a hand over here? Yeah. here here's, so, so why is it? This is not, uh, Perry Labs, uh, the lab that I use through you know, Kinsey Ag Services is actually working on a protocol for silicon, for measuring silicon. Why, it, it, it's actually what builds pectin. Now the two components of cement are calcium and silicon. When a cell wall is built with the adequate, the right levels of calcium and, and lipids, the fats, and we're going to talk about that later, uh, and silicon, when you get the pectin levels where they need to be, the integrity of those cell walls is so strong that nothing's going to penetrate them. And it, and this is where the problems come in in our lives when we can't, because uh, the world is contaminated, but when we, we can't con- when we can't selectively choose what we're going to take into our internal environment and what we're not, we lose control is when we lose, when the cell wall becomes permeable when you don't want it to be. They call a leaky gut is one of those things, it's, it's a good illustration of it. You're not controlling what's coming into the internal environment, it's just pouring in and you're not selectively excluding it. And the only way to do that is through a complete and balanced a properly constructed soil. The plant will have all the things that it needs and it will build the hedge, as the Bible calls it. It'll build the hedge. And then what comes in will be selectively controlled. And so the contaminants in the world around you become, a, become more of a moot point. You're not gonna go and, and ingest them and, and go out and seek them out anymore, but the reality is they're in our environment, but you're now in a position where you can selectively exclude them. And I think I shared this, that once the soil is complete and balanced, you can grow things in toxic soil. As long as you have that aerobic zone where the, where the plant can function and get everything it needs, it can then put roots down into toxic ground and selectively bring up water and other nutrients. that gets down there and exclude the toxins and the contaminants that are, that are in that ground. So silicon is one of the most abundant elements on Earth. How do you increase the levels in your plant? That's why this is it's a good question because I was just about to get to that. So why, if it's so important, why is it not measured? Why is there hardly any concern about it? It's the most abundant element on the planet. And everybody just thinks, assumes that it's available. And what's happened is as we've destroyed the biology in the soil, the making available of silicon, sand is is huge amounts of silicon. If you're in a heavier soil where there's less sand in it, you're not as likely to have as much. That uh, Remind me to tell you about watermelons so I don't forget. But, um, so people just think it's an assumption that's made that it's just available. And yet on sandy soils where there should be plenty of, of silicon available, you're having problems that have never happened before. And part of the reality is because we're destroying the biology. We're destroying the, the soil and the biology that breaks that and the chemistry that releases that silicon out of that, that crystalline structure is not functional. And so the silicon is being used up, and it's disappearing. And so now all of a sudden everybody's waking up. It's like sulfur. I didn't mention about that sulfur. People just assume sulfur is available. And and it, the truth is it's not anymore. Times have changed. It used to be a incidental, and they used to use superphosphate, which was when you react rock phosphate with um, sulfuric acid, you get um, a more concentrated uh, phosphoric acid, and you get calcium sulfate, which is gypsum. And so this was a material that was being used um, in the past for phosphate fertilizer. Well, they were getting calcium and sulfur along with it all the time. In fact, there was an experience with the with the experiment stations out west where the wheat growers are, and they all just wanted to find out if sulfur was uh, would, would affect yield on, on wheat or quality. And so Nebraska and Kansas and Colorado um, and uh uh what was the other state? Oklahoma. Um did these experiments to see applying sulfur. And all the states showed a difference that and an improved an improved yield and everything else by applying the sulfur except Kansas. And the and the and the, the Kansas experiment station said now it didn't make any difference for us. And so how could just crossing borders change the outcome? Well um one of the guys doing the, the investigation on it and everything went down to visit, visit. He visited all the plots, but he particularly went down to visit Kansas and said, well, why didn't it work here when all the other states it, it made an improvement? And he was walking with the farmer who runs the, the, the experiment station, does the growing there, and the, 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 the farmer elbowed the, the guy and he said, I'm going to tell you a secret about you know I do th- I, what I do different because it always works better. Said, I always use superphosphate. I don't use triple superphosphate. I always use superphosphate. And the guy immediately knew what the problem, why it didn't show any effect. Because he was applying sulfur in the, the O20O. He was applying the sulfur. And he had always he'd been getting better yields already all the way along because he was applying sulfur with it. But he wasn't thinking about it because it was an incidental in there that he never thought about. Um, And so this this happens a lot of the time where um, assumptions are made. It used to come out of the smokestack, the coal-fired smokestacks. It used to come out of the car. Um, There was all kinds of sources. Get up in the atmosphere, rain down, and supply sulfur on stuff. That's all been taken out. It's been refined out of fertilizers that was coming in in as incidentals. It's not going on anymore. And and all of a sudden, sulfur is a huge problem uh, in, in agriculture. Because remember I said it's used in almost as much quantity as phosphate, and it's highly leachable. And everything. well the same is true here with silicon yeah uh, you're asking where where can you find these materials yeah. yeah that's also becoming I realized this year with several growers that's also becoming a harder and harder problem because there's this there's, there's redu- reduction down to just the cheapest most stimulating sources to get the yield and a lot of these materials are becoming harder and harder to find so I can't actually answer your question as to where to best get it. I just go to the fertilizer dealer that's closest to me, or if there's an organic fertilizer dealer, sometimes they'll carry more things than, and ask, do you have these materials? Um, if they don't, then it becomes a process of, of hunting them down. Sometimes they do, sometimes okay. they don't. Well, some of them, if you're, you're going to be looking for very specific materials, and so you need to know what you're looking for, and then ask them, do they have it? Um, and they may not even know because sometimes um, they only know numbers a lot of people you work with only know numbers, and yeah. so they don't really know if you say if you say "I want ferrous sulfate twenty one percent," they you'll throw them off with the twenty one percent probably they know ferrous sulfate, but you might throw them off when you, you add that and there, there's a lot of other illustrations that c- come with it but um, but it is becoming a challenge to find to find the right materials and this is another thing that we, we as a church, I, I wish that we would just have some vision on this and start you know, integrating a whole infrastructure mm-hmm. for us to be able to integrate, to be able to, to move forward with all of this because the world is moving it away from us. And there's, there's things, there's consolidation going on as well. Consolidation of the, mine, the, the limestone quarries, consolidation of the fertilizer mines, the sources, the manufacturers all getting consolidated and you know what's going to happen once it's consolidated? You're going to have a hard time getting it. No, I was, I was just referring to sulfur. Yes, yeah, it has, has calcium sulfate or gypsum, which is, is a result of the reaction that they do to get to concentrate the phosphate. The o 20 as it's called here if you can find it, good luck finding it. It's not yeah, O20O. Superphosphate was just called plain superphosphate, because it was concentrated some and made more soluble. But in the process, the gypsum is produced, the calcium sulfate. And they didn't, they didn't refine it out. They didn't separate it out. They just sold the product with everything in there. But, uh, but it's, it's not very available anymore. So um, if you can find it, it's a great source. But you need to be mindful that it's in there. If, you're, if you have too much calcium or something like that, it may not be the source for you to use. But, but anyway, silicon is it's the most abundant element on the planet. And it's missing from food and if you want disease if you want disease resistance it's another one of those materials that needs to be added back in to to give you the immunity um, I called it immunity but you know what it's really when the system starts functioning in all because we look at diseases and pests as diseases and pests but they're functioning that way but actually some of those organisms that create disease in a healthy growing system actually become beneficial to the plant they change their, their mode of action, and it actually becomes beneficial to the plant. Their, their, their behavior is now probiotic rather than antibiotic or, or pathological in their behavior. And it's a matter of you're just creating these deformities all over the place. And so we call them diseases and we call them pests, but really it's just the changing of the conditions changes the behavior of a lot of things. Yeah. One of the, one of the phrases that kind of, we kind of make an excuse for it. And I like the one that the organic growers use. You know, if it's good enough for the worm, it's good enough for me. Well, you know, that's a pretty diluted idea. Honestly, it's, it's not. You know, I don't say that to pick on organic growers because, you know, we all, it, this is a reality in life is we have a whole lot of these suppressive interventions where we, we get these mindsets about things where we're just accepting of dysfunction. You know it's just the way it is and there's nothing we can do about it well when i read my bible that's not what the bible says um, it's dysfunction it's incompleteness and it's imbalance and god doesn't want that he wants complete and and balanced people that will reflect his image and and glorify him and i've had i've had pastors tell me that well god's just gonna have to deal with sick people <laughs> and you know what do you say to that God loves sick people. He's not, he doesn't hate sick people. Um, but that's not how he wants us to be. That would be a sick God <laughs> if he wanted that. Um, okay, so so there's no, really, no real measuring protocol on this anymore. But I want to tell you, tell you about watermelons because watermelons are in the cucurbit family. And they always tell you that you, can't grow, you have to grow watermelons on sandy soil. Do you know why now? Because cucurbits are a silicon accumulator and they depend on it to give them immunity, and they, there's more silicon in a sandy soil. You can grow watermelons on a heavy soil all day long as long as you have adequate silicon there and all the other elements. You don't have to grow them on a sandy soil. But it's because, and it's interesting, I was reading in one seed catalog that actually they actually breed cucurbits, the watermelons and melons and everything like that. And their comment in their melon was th- they were coming to rotate, move it from field to field, because there's something in the soil it's not readily known that um, causes the watermelons to grow better. And it's used up in the process. And so that's why you have to rotate. Well, here's a breeder and they don't even know it's silicon. That is the, um, is what's uh, making the difference. But because they're killing the biology off now, even the sandy soils are not growing watermelon. I can tell you, out in Colorado in the Arkansas River Valley, Valley, where they grow lots of melons and they breed melons there and everything, they're having lots of problems. They have the sand, the sandy loam soil to grow it, but they're not getting the silicon. And so we've got to change that. So that's another one I'm I'm emphasizing it because it plays a significant role, but it's downplayed. But even the wider audience is starting to recognize that silicon is becoming a problem. And the universities are starting to do research on it now again because it's becoming such a significant problem. Did you have a question? measure cobalt? Right. Yeah, actually you can measure cobalt along with molybdenum. That's they can right. be measured, yeah, and, and uh, you can know, know where it is. And I always encourage people to do that. The first time they do samples, I strongly recommend that you do that so you know where they are. You don't have to do it every year because they're expensive. It usually costs $50 with, with the, the service that I go through. It usually costs $50 for the, the, the standard sample that's going to tell you all the major and secondary stuff and the main, main trace elements. But each cobalt and and molybdenum, each are $15 a piece Mm -hmm. to have it done. It's a much more expensive uh, and consuming test to do that. Um, So most people don't want to spend that money. But I strongly encourage it. If you're producing food for yourself or other people, (laughs) I strongly encourage that you do it. Molybdenum yep, and the cobalt. Nobody knows what that level is. That's, this is another one where nobody really knows. You need, and so the way you solve that is you make sure that you have materials that have silicon in them. Like uh, you can use um, diatomaceous earth; it's amorphous silicon. You can use, um, if you're okay with that, you can use um, like uh, shrimp shro- shrimp shell and crab shell. Uh, when they break down, they have they have good amounts of silicon in them. Um, there's some other materials that you can get silicon from. The way I do it, because it really doesn't take that much, is I, I'll add some amorphous silica or whatever material I'm going to use. I'll add it to my mix that I'm starting my seedlings in. Mm-hmm. If you're going to direct seed, because most of most of what I tr- transplant that would need silicon, the cucurbits, I transplant them, and so I can add it into my mix, and, and then it's, it's right there, close to the the plant to have access or whatever. Yeah, okay. yeah they've just decimated the biology that would. Well, it's not just a yeah, biology, but it's. Why they're, you know. Right, that's the goal. It, it, it's not only biological, it's also chemical, because a lot of people think you want to eliminate the acidity from the soil completely. But Dr. Albrecht demonstrated that's not true. You want some acidity in the soil, because the way the whole dynamic works, which we don't have time to diagram all out, is that acidity eventually is transferred to the, par- the rock material in the soil, and it breaks down that material and makes available. Uh, the nutrients that are in it, the biology can do the same thing, but the combination of the two has been made, you know, largely dysfunctional. And so it's just been used up, or it's not being supplied in adequate amounts because the system is so decimated from, from wrong practices. That's what it comes down to. Okay, so if you're growing, if you're growing cucurbits, at least put something in, in your, your mix if you're doing transplants or whatever to... Um, but I grow I grow melons. I, it's one of my favorite things to grow. I love melons and watermelons. I, I out in Colorado they told me I couldn't grow watermelons there because it was too cold. It's a high <laughs> desert climate. We lose we lose heat during the night. Yeah. Somebody else wants attention, um, and and so you you don't retain heat. And so melons like need a lot of heat. And I don't like people telling me you can't do something. <laughs> so. I just figured out what are the conditions that melons need, and what are the conditions that I have, and how can I modify those conditions, or can I economically modify those conditions so that I can provide the, the environment that the melons need? Well, first of all, we, they were overhead. This, is, this was up at Eden Valley, and they were overhead irrigating. And if you've ever been in a dry climate, and you get hit with water, it can be 90 degrees outside, and you get hit with that water and it flash evaporates, you're running for your jacket. Um, Because when it flash evaporates, it cools you. So that was one problem. You can't overhead irrigate, so I put drip irrigation in. The drip irrigation tape was black, and so it would warm the water. We were using snowmelt water, which is snowmelt runoff, and so it was cold, but that would warm the water. I put IRT mulch down, which is a green infrared transmitting mulch. Sometimes it's brown. Um, And so the infrared could go through and warm the soil, but the weeds couldn't grow. And so I got warmer soil conditions, and then I hooped it and put floating row cover over it and i got melons before they did in the arkansas valley because i changed the conditions that i provided the conditions that were required and it was economical for me to do I mean, in some cases it's not economical it, it to, to do things but if you can do them, it's it's all about problem solving we don't teach that anymore It's to be able to solve problems understand what are the skills to solve problems what do i have what do i need and 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 how do i get that Figure it out. Okay, that's the last of that. So let's move on to let me open it here. Carbon fertility. You'll pay a, you'll pay a lot for them. It's one the thing. You, you, they'll, they'll break it down into small packages. And the man who wrote the book, The Ideal Soil, um, uh, on his website, his Soil Mineral Agricola website. He he breaks it down into smaller packages and sells it, but I can tell you the prices he's charging for it. He's, you know, if you can convince somebody this is what you're supposed to do, and then all of a sudden you offer them the stuff that you need, uh, you kind of have a captured audience, and, and uh, so you can't do that though, yeah. So you, can it, uh, you can generally find generally find whatever you need, It then it becomes a matter of economics. Many things you get on the internet cheaper you can locally, at least in California. Sometimes, yeah. But if you're in California, there's a lot more of this stuff available in California because there's a wider diversity of growers in california and agriculture is such a huge huge industry or a huge uh, yeah he does he does um I'm not exa- I have an idea which one he uses. I'm not exactly sure. So I'm not exactly sure that he always gets the right numbers. But he knows, he, he knows it. It's a great book to distill down the whole cation exchange modeling and, uh, and framework. He does a really good job with that. The problem is there are some variables in there that, that are not quite right. At least in my experience, they're not quite there. So, Jason? Yeah, I didn't add it on here. That would have been a good one to add to. Um, yes, selenium is is important, but you need to you need to kind of do your homework as far as what soils you, what parent materials you have. Like where I am up in Kentucky, it's a hot spot for selenium, and so it it can actually be a potential problem for us because there are pretty high selenium levels in the soil already. So. I, you can go to the the USGS, the uh, Soil Survey, the Geological Survey, and get a soil map. You can go on the internet now and do it, but it's not very user friendly. It's very hard to navigate, but you can get uh, soil maps, and that and you can get descriptions of what the characteristics of the parent material are, and, and things like that. Um, so, it's one of those things where you know we know what it causes. It causes heart attacks. Now. Hogs, they're, n- they're not going to tell you that in conventional medicine. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but hogs are highly susceptible to, to white mu- what they call white muscle disease. That's cardiac muscle. And selenium is critical for the proper form and function of, of white muscle. And when they feed, they supplement selenium to the hogs. They don't get white muscle disease. And so, you can extrapolate out from there. There has been some research done on it, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get myself in too much controversy with too many people My in this process. But the so, day. there's your anecdotal evidence, but that doesn't count in the real world. <laughs> I, I, that's not what I believe. I don't believe that, but that's what you're told all the time. Well, that's not, that's not real research. So, but it's the truth. Are there any testing for uh, selenium? Uh, there may be. This is another one where it would be good to know what you know what should you have in the soil? Again, this all fell apart when the whole chemical revolution came in. Um, and the organic movement has not not resol- you know you know awa- um, revived it. Um, because their idea is that you can get everything from organic material, it's just going to come whatever's there. And so they really haven't raised, intensively gone back to trying to understand what should be and what shouldn't be. And so there, isn't, there, there really isn't a, to the best of my knowledge, there really isn't a good test. But you don't want to be applying it if your soil already has it in it. Um, so it would be good if there's any way to find out, you know, where your, the levels of selenium are. They, they, they do have a way of telling whether the rock would have, most likely be, have the selenium. There are tests that can test for selenium. Nobody, just, nobody knows how much should be there, though, that's the, that's the thing. But the, you know, the, the USGS, did, when they did all their soil, su- soil surveying, they, they have knowledge about what makes up some of these parent materials. And so you can find out, a lot of times you can find out through that resource. I'll let you guess at that. Look at the condition, the human condition, and you, get, you tell me. I think that's one of the... But it'll help to get rid of the mercury. A lot of, these, a lot of this chemistry controls other chemistry. And so it doesn't allow it to effect, uh, to um, express itself in destructive ways. So it still comes back to a complete and balanced <laughs> nutrition. It's, you know The right character, it comes back to that. It's the right character. When the right character, it will be properly expressed and you'll have life. Which is what Jesus said he came to bring his life. Amen. Okay, we're gonna do carbon fertility here. We've got unfortunately we fell behind a little bit here. But we'll we'll get through it. I wanted to share this Bible verse with you. Because it's important to understand what carbon fertility is and what it isn't. In Isaiah eight twenty it says to the law and to the testimony there's an and conjunction that means it's both of them to the law and the test to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there is no light in them the organic movement largely now there may be individuals within that movement who don't see it this way so I'm not passing judgment on the people in the movement I'm saying the general tenor of the movement is that the testimony is all you need you know what I mean by that well, let me just give you this other one here from Revelation twelve eleven, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and another conjunction which means they go together by the word of their testimony so is testimony unimportant <clears throat> absolutely not but a right understanding of what it is is important. Organic matter is testimony. It's the coming together of the mineral. It's the coming together, let's put it, the dust and the breath, or if you want to put it, the mineral and the air and water. It's the coming together of those things in a complete and balanced way, or it's the coming together, let me just say it that way. It's the coming together of those two things and their expression. In, in life, and that's what the organic matter winds up being. It's the it, it, if it's the dead material that was formerly living, we call it organic matter. And um, this is just a chart that divides up you know what kind of con- constitutes that total there: ten percent organisms, ten percent roots, and eighty and, uh, percent humus. Um, but it is the testimony of of those things. It's the witness. If you, go back to, if you go back to Genesis where it says God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became what? A living being or a living soul. You can put other words on that. He became a living witness. The living witness to what? He came a, became a living witness or an image to the character of God. Wasn't that God's purpose? Wasn't that our, isn't that our purpose? Um, that, that is testimony. That is testimony. We are testifying to the character and nature of God in our lives. Now, let me ask you the question Do you think everybody's testimony is reflecting the image of God? So, to make the assumption that organic matter or testimony would provide everything you need, the, the goal is that it comes back to this is that there's inherent Godness create in the creation in us so within us there's just a divine spark that if we just pursue it internally that we'll eventually come to godhood or it's really a perversion or a distortion of an image of God but it's that we're the ones we're the ones that are creating that image and that we're God this is where dr. Kellogg got off the tr- the, the, the the rails of truth and error run right beside each other. You know why they run right beside each other? Because they're true along, They're both true a long way down the tracks. But then all of a sudden they diverge. And this is where they diverge at. Because we're not the author. We're not the author or the lawgiver. We're not the author of life. There's another that's the author of life. And so... This is why I say that, that this is a parallel movement to the spiritual formation movement, and a lot of people are misled by it. It's hitting the spiritual truth and it's hitting the physical truth, but what is its foundation? And so, and again, I'm not, I'm not condemning or criticizing people that are, that are in that, because a lot of people, there's a lot of th- things about it that are really good. The tracks are running right next to each other. But then when you look at what is the foundation of it, when somebody says that this will provide everything you need for clean, nutritious food, for, for fertility, to bring that soil back to a, ba- a state of complete completeness and balance, that is wrong. And I have people argue with me about it, but they can't demonstrate something different than that. And we have to be very careful about what this actually represents. Because it is, it, it is, when I read the second biblical, Bible verse there, you can see that it is vital to our our eternity. It's vital. That testimony is important. The question is, what is the testimony? And people are it, it, the claim is that it's that it is the answer. Well, in reality, it is part of the answer as long as it's complete and balanced. And so. <coughs> I think it's just important that we understand. This is the coming together, like I said. The coming together of these two principles. It's the coming together of the law and the will. It's just a matter of which is that law correct? And is the will being exercised correctly? And that's where you get the, you get the, the expression in, in the uh, organic matter of the testimony. It's, this, is, this is what you would read in a book. This part of it here, the plant growing and the fruit being born by that by that soil is going to be the living witness, the living testimony of the character of that soil and what the truth is. This is what you would read in a book. So it's the stuff that's gone before that's now in the in the uh, soil and is breaking down into its most stable form. And when it breaks down into its most stable form, what do you think is what do you think is wh- what you think leaves when it's going to its most stable form? Well, a lot of the, have you ever done a compost pile and watched it shrink? The majority of that compost pile is air, air elements. It's this side over here. It's air and water. Um, and they go back to the air and to the water. Um, and part of it doesn't. Part of it is left in what they call their humus, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Um, the real problem you have. Now, there's a reason why organic matter works so well in the growing system. And we're going to get to some of that, too. But you, what, what you, when all the air elements go back to the air, what other component is there? I mean, all the excess air elements go back to the air. What, what other part is there that's going to be, that's, if it's in excess, is going to be left behind, too? The minerals, the law part of it, the fixed part of it. And so, what if the. Now, that's whatever's not built into the humus. If there are imbalances in there, they're going to be left behind. When the air elements go back to the air, the earth elements are going to go back to the earth. And if they're not what you want them to be, you just made your situation worse. I'm not talking about the humus part of it, the actual part of it that's broken down into humus, because once it's broken down into humus, it's balanced. Um, but the minerals go back to the earth, and just like the Bible says, the, the dust, you return to dust, and the, and the breath returns to God. And so you want to be sure that, that these two things are right so that the, the, the organic matter, the humus that's being formed, is, is complementary, is actually building on, is building the reserves in that soil that you want to be built there. Um, a lot of times, a lot of humus won't be built. Because the balance between those two is not right. So you won't get, this is, people ask me the question, don't we have to overtly apply organic matter to the soil in order to maintain uh, organic matter levels, humus levels? And my answer to that would be sometimes you do. But that's not the ultimate way of applying it. And we're going to get to that too. The ultimate way of applying it is carbon induction. It's actually feeding it into the ground from a healthy source. A complete and balanced source. So, I hope I'm not being too harsh about this. I just want I want people to really think about what is the what are the foundation principles that are being that are being communicated, and as as Seventh Day Adventist Christians, we may not see them that way, but that's their ultimate reality. And, and that's the direction it is taking people. Well, you wouldn't. It's not necessarily that you wouldn't be adding any more elements. You would be maintaining a complete and balanced system. But what your, what your humus, your organic matter would be doing for you now, what's going into the ground to be stored is complete and balanced. And you, the difference is you're now going to be, be building that at a more rapid pace. You're storing up the oil in the lamp is what you're doing. What you'll see when we look at the biological cascade that goes on here how that actually works. Now I said People ask me, shouldn't you put it on overtly? And I said, sometimes. So remember I said that this is what's in books now? This is other people's experience. So if you were going to apply, it was a good thing to apply the organic material, Um, would you selectively choose which books you were going to read? Would you just read anything? If If you're bringing organic material, if you're bringing testimony onto your farm, you want to know what you're bringing onto the farm. And you want to know that it's appropriate, what's, what's being brought on. Okay, so it's not a matter of, because sometimes we need to do that. We don't have any, the, go, the difference here is we need our own deep experience and deep walk with God. Amen. As opposed to just reading about somebody else's experience. We may need to read about other people's experience. We may need that to be brought in. Because that will help us to restore a complete and balanced character in ourselves. So it's not a matter of it's, you know, you never do that. It's a matter of you need to know. You don't just go out and read any book or watch any video or stuff like that. You need to know with, with whatever testimony you're putting into your, your mind or your body, you want to be sure that it's it is appropriate, that it's actually, because, you know, we're, I'll save it for when we get to the compost and the manure stuff. There's stuff that's called compost that's not compost. Um, And there's stuff that's done that produces that organic material that you just don't want to have anything to do with, if you can avoid it. So we just need to be intelligent about, you know, how we're choosing what we're putting in to our character. Let's put it that way. Um, So let's look at the bio... How do we achieve... Because we need this. We need an experience do you know if there's no, you can have a fraction of a percent of organic matter, humus in the soil, and you can grow things. But if the, if the humus content, the organic ma- content ever goes to zero, you cannot grow a single thing in that soil. It doesn't matter how many minerals and all that stuff is in it, you cannot grow anything. We have to have an ongoing experience with life. And I would extrapolate that out. We need to have an ongoing experience with, with God, with our Creator, our Redeemer. Um, <clears throat> because without it, if it eventually goes away, and look, when, when organic matter levels in the soil de- decline, when you're below 2.5% organic matter in your soil, your biology is on a starvation diet, and they're just not going to do for you what they could do for you to, make, to, to elevate to, the function uh, of that plant. They're not going to do it. And so once you're down to a certain level, when your experience gets, dwindles down to, um, whether it's your own personal reserves, your own experience, or it's the experience of others, when it gets down to that, that level, um, things start dying. Things start, stop going well. So I want to be sure you understand that this is very important. It's, not, it's part of our character. It's not, um, it's not adverse to our character. It's just a matter of properly applying it that we need to understand. Okay, so here's the biological cascade. This is how you produce carbon induction, which is building oil in the land from your own experience, let's put it that way, uh, in the soil. Full capacity photosynthesis. Most crops can produce as much as three to five times more photosynthetic energy than they typically do. We are not functioning at a very high level. The ability to bear fruit is way beyond what we're doing right now and we think that we're doing good when we get a little bit above it so what everybody else is doing or whatever the standard is so low our expectations are so low that if we do a little bit better than that we think we're really doing well but folks we are we're way behind <laughs> uh, and there are some growers I, I have pictures of a blueberry grower out in in uh, Oregon I think it is boy and he's got trusses of blue he's really applying the principles. And his bushes have trusses of blueberries this long. Just hanging there. I talked to, when I, was pl- when I was learning how to, when I wanted to grow blueberries and I was trying to find out, you know, what could I expect, what did I need to do and what kind of yields could I expect? And I talked to one of the top nurseries out in Oregon and they told me, I said, well, how much do I expect in yield? And they said, anywhere from five to 40 pounds. And I said, well, what's the difference? I mean, is it, is it the varieties? He said, well, some of it's varieties. He said, but it's mostly cultural. It's fertility it's how you it's how you grow them would you, if you would you rather be producing 40 if you're especially if you're trying to offer it to somebody would you rather be producing 40 pounds or five um, we're just not we're not functioning at the, the level we're not we're not bearing fruit we're not testifying at the level that we need to be there's way more capacity than than we're, we're taking advantage of. Number two, sugars are released as root exudates. Did you know that plants, when they're young, they give away, they give away the majority of the energy compounds that they capture through photosynthesis and produce? They give it away. Sugars are released as root exudates. What that means is they're exuding it out the roots. The bacterial populations develop rapidly or explode to utilize these sugars. In other words, they, they, the bacterial populations just blow up. But that's what the plant wants. It wants that bacterial population to explode. And so it gives away its resources. And so the bacterial population rapidly uh, develops to utilize the sugars. Number three, as the bacterial population develop, as bacterial populations develop, they extract minerals from the soil mineral matrix to build their own cells. Number four, remember I said that the best way for the plant to uptake these minerals is in the organic form? Well, this is where that's happening. Number four, plants absorb microbial metabolites and become exceptionally energy efficient. In other words, they're taking up, as these populations, they die back down after the surge, because then the, the, the plant will, will back off on the, exud, the exudates. And they don't co- totally back off because they, they continue to, to nurture these, these populations, um, what they did is they just stored up a big bank account of resources for the process of growth and reproduction. Um, then number four, the plants absorb microbial metabolites, In other words, uh, the metabolites of the, the microbes themselves, they start absorbing those and become exceptionally energy efficient. In other words, the energy that they were using to try to use soluble minerals and build them into the organic compounds they're not having to use. And so that means that they can use that energy for growth and reproduction. Proper growth, proper construction, uh, resulting in the development of elevated lipid levels. In other ways, they have surplus energy. They, they, they increase the lipid, uh, the fat production, the oil production. And uh, number five, uh, and then let's see, what time is it? We're probably close to stop, having to stop. Yeah, we're past comment, having to stop. Um, number five, lipids are exuded from the roots. So now the plant starts exuding these lipids that they have the surplus energy to produce from the roots, and they are digested by soil fungal populations, which expand rapidly. And number six, the fungal digestion of lipids results in the formation of stable humic substances with long half-lives, as much as a 100-year half-life. On, that's the humus part of it. They're building oil in the lamb. And so, if if you create the conditions for this to happen, that is how you'll that's how you'll build the humus levels in your soil. And a lot of people say you can't do this very fast. You can only do a little bit in a year over a year. But there was I, I know growers, I know of growers that increase their humus levels by a, a percentage point to two percentage points just within three or four years. And this is what they're doing. This is how they're doing it. Because usually when you're using it as a when you're using it as a fungicide, it comes with a phytotoxic component. The hydroxide, the copper hydroxide, it's a phytotoxic component that will kill them. Um, but in this case, it just it, it's it's keeping them where they belong. Let's put it that way. They're doing the job that they were designed to do, rather than well. Part of their job is is deg- decomposing dysfunctional t- life, and so. If the plant is functional, it doesn't have that job to do. And so it's not so much that the copper is killing them, it's the plant is using the copper to be fully functional. In fact, the, the, the fungal organisms themselves use it. Um, so it's what's just, again, it's when you deform something or distort it that it becomes a problem so rather that, than... They normally would attack the plant the plant's not functioning properly. And now they're not attacking the plant. Right. The it's, it's as you said over here, is they recognize what it recognizes it as is this is senescing or dying life and so it's going to it's going to recycle it it's going to decompose it clean it up and we like to kill them off it's like i said you know those suppressive interventions you know the belligerent way of putting that is they're message killers what's being communicated to us is this is not good and you know if we want to open our eyes and lit in our ears and listen and see then we can i honestly believe because a lot of people ask me well how do you learn this stuff well i honestly believe if we will go to god in sincerity and say open my eyes and my ears and help me to see because the world is full of blind deaf people stuff is happening all around us and and we're just we're so used to it we're so conditioned to it that we think that it's normal it's typical it's not normal Anyway, folks, we need to break for lunch, so um, we'll pick this up and finish up this and finish up the, the water part of it uh, in our last session tonight. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org